When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to be joined once again in our matching blue jumpers by uh, Samuel Lockhurst. Hello, Rich. Good to hear you. Good to see you again, as always. Yeah, I'm glad you got the uh, the, the, me- the memo today for our attire. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you've had the, uh, the joys, Samuel, of a trip to Newcastle on a Saturday night. Uh, the football, in the end, was uh, worth the journey up. North. Uh, you said last week on the podcast that it was always going to be a shame that there would be no fans for this game because it's one which maybe could have been a banana skin if United did have that vocal home support against them. But in the end, it was a, a game which showed United's character. They had to come from behind very early on, but they did overcome it. It's not a revolution. United haven't completely turned a corner, but a step in the right direction ahead of a pivotal few weeks. Indeed, the the manner of the result would have been particularly pleasing for Solskjaer, given how uh, abysmal the start was. He he must have been fearing the worst then. But I I did think shortly after that goal, just some of the interplay between the forwards was was encouraging. And the way Newcastle played played into United's hands, uh, Newcastle showed them far too much respect. They were too standoffish. They were extremely reliant on the counter-attack and some Maximan who is a brilliant player to watch live when he's on it and there were a number of times where he left United players with twisted blood and uh, he could have could have had an assist for uh, Wilson in the second half but I was impressed with just how United reacted mainly the forwards I think that the defenders there were some shaky moments at the back still um, was one period where Maguire shouted time to McTominay when he didn't have any and he then he came bounding through saying Harry's and the ball went behind him rather than ahead of him. But once they got their composure they, and, and sorted out their finishing, um, they they won very well. And, and again, I, I kind of thought that at halftime or before halftime that they could still win that game rather rather handsomely just because of the way Newcastle played. I, I don't think the scoreline flattered United remotely. I know there were certain occasions like Shelby's shot, which he probably should have done better with at 1-1. He could have taken it further ahead and, and tested De Gea a lot more. And mainly um, the Callum Wilson chance at 1-1 where De Gea made a great save, where if, they, if either of those go in, then United could easily lose that game. But they were well worth uh, the win in the end. And, and the margin of victory as well uh, was, was completely... It, it didn't flatter them whatsoever. No, exactly. So there are fine margins. I think there should be a special mention maybe to De Gea for, for again, making a key save at a key point, which yeah. in the end got sort of brushed under the carpet. United were so dominant and it was that, you know, five minutes left, United were still drawing one all, but then uh, 86 minutes, Bruno scored that goal on the counter-attack. Uh, United, in the end, like we said, they, they really turned up good towards the end. Uh, the goal, the, the, the second one, particularly the Bruno Fans goal, that, for me, that was possibly even better than the Brighton one last season. United's midfield played particularly sort of linked up well in Juan Mata, Samuel. He doesn't always get the credit he deserves, but he was flawless again for me on Saturday night. How about you? Yeah, it was a difficult one to to rate because there were three goals in the last 10 minutes. So 
a lot of players were, were bumped up quite a bit because it went from a potential game where they dropped more points to one where they won quite handsomely. But but Mata was was excellent to watch as as he often is. I mean, he was in, in the Carabao Cup games. He was he was a joy to watch, mainly the Brighton one. And I was still surprised that some fans expressed reservations about the prospect of him starting at Newcastle. He, he was always going to start that game. He had to. Those games where United are guaranteed to have at least 60% of the ball, you need players who are going to use the ball prudently and pick a pass. And, and Mata can do that. And in terms of the goal, I mean, I, I did a piece pretty much on how Fernandez and Van der Beek just enjoyed playing with Mata today. So I watched that goal again. And, and the build-up to it from the moment Van der Beek wins the ball, um, it's, it's just, they, they hit their cues, all of them. Um, a little bit like Newcastle for, for their opening goal. They they did they worked that really well, even though the cross in the end was very fortuitous as the moment it went in. But the, the passing, the touches, the movement, even matter when he does receive the ball from Van der Beek, he checks his run because he sees that Jamal Lewis is breathing down his neck. Uh, and it's one touch, two touch, and it's in Rashford's path. And... Fernandez makes the angle. I think I can't remember who the defender was, but it seemed to me that Fernandez's run was very obvious, and the defender was very, very slow in reacting to that. And had he actually read it, then he probably would have blocked the shot, which would have been a shame for United because they wouldn't have scored the goal, and, and it would have ruined the great counter attack. But it does show the merit in having three fluid playmakers on the pitch simultaneously in that situation. And, and fair, fair dues to Solskjaer in that he did make. Um, a, re- a reasonably innovative change by uh, taking James off for Van Der Beek. I, I thought Daniel James did reasonably well. He was a lot more comfortable coming in from the left and more purposeful uh, with the ball. He, he seemed to have a bit more confidence about him. But Van Der Beek is is at a different level. And I think, as, you, as we've seen already, even before the Newcastle game, he's such an intelligent player. He doesn't take long to get on the same wavelength as, as new mm-hmm. teammates. And Matt has spoke very, very effusively uh, of him at Brighton. And yeah, as, as you said, I think I think it probably was a better goal overall than than the Brighton one. If maybe the finish at Brighton was better because it was a first time volley from Fernandez. But as a team as a team goal it was it was superb and it's it's gonna have to be a contender for goal of the month. Exactly. And I guess when a Solskjaer, maybe whatever happens to him, he'll sort of look at those goals, the Brighton one, the Newcastle ones. That's his philosophy. That's what he wanted to sort of instill in this United team. When they're at the best, they do play some very attractive football. And Samuel, we said uh, last week, and much of the build-up was about this big team selection, perhaps the biggest team selection of Solskjaer's reign. He did make five changes. Like you said, some of them were expected with Van Mata coming in. I know there's quite a lot of backlash on social media when that Lineup mm. did drop. Um, what did you make of it? I know, obviously, in hindsight, it's easy to say that well, United won four-one, so it was justified by those means. But yourself, were you expecting as many changes as there were? Were you expecting the personnel who came in to come in? And, and what do you think it, it sort of offered Solskjaer now going forward? Because there does seem to be that strength and depth again. Well, I think first of all, the relief for Solskjaer will be that that leaked team that circulated was about as accurate as a as an Anderson shot. Um, as, as someone who who did get teams um, under a certain reign previously uh, before they came out officially. When that tends to happen, it's because someone in the club has got it in for the manager. It happened under David Moyes uh, to the point that uh, away at Aston Villa, it was before my time covering United on the patch, but Jamie Jackson, the Guardian, said that they were at Villa away just before Christmas and Phil Neville came bounding through into the mix zone demanding how 
how a reporter, Dave McDonald of the Mirror, was getting these leaked teams. And and in the end, uh, David Moyes did actually succeed in finding out who the leak was. And it was a player who's no longer at the club. But when, when that's happening on your watch as a manager, that is going to smart. And I think it happened to Celtic at the weekend. I heard on the radio, Neil Lennon was asked about their team being leaked leaked ahead of the uh, the old firm game. And he, he sounded very, very vexed, to say the least. And Neil Lennon is... In, in general, quite a quite an aggressive um, quite an aggressive personality. So you can imagine how seething he'd have been about that, particularly since Celtic lost to Rangers. It happened under Louis Van Gaal as well, even though he was a very popular figure with with staff at the club. Um, it, it, there was a period where there was a, there was an account on Twitter that just literally kept on publishing, posting the teams about an hour before they, they were actually confirmed, and then it did stop. Uh, and of course, it happened a hell of a lot under Mourinho, um, and and I wasn't the only one uh, get, getting that information as well. So uh, my understanding was that it's a little bit like the term "loose lips sink ships." I think some were of the opinion that it wasn't done deliberately, some were of the opinion it was done deliberately, uh, but it was happening. I think it was happening too often for it to not be deliberate. I think mm-hmm. there were staff there who just were never going to take to Mourinho and never did take to him. So with Solskjaer, the good news is that that leaked team, if you like, um, was was just completely inaccurate. It was nowhere near the team in the end. Um, so it's not like anyone's out to get him, I suppose. And I'd have been surprised if it was true as well, because I think it was pretty easy to put together who the source of the leak would have been as well, given um, the journalist or the reporter who had put the team out and, and the connection. It wasn't too difficult to join the dots there, but... I think the, the reporter had some very, very spurious tweets out there during the transfer window about players being linked with United and what Solskjaer was doing. So I, I w- I'd have taken, the, I took the team at the time with a shovel of salt, but it was always going to be contentious, whoever he was going to play. Um, Maguire started and there were understandable calls for him to be dropped. In fairness to Maguire, Maguire after a shaky start, he showed good character, he got the goal. I mean, he missed a bad header at Newcastle last season when United lost, but he could have had a couple uh, on Saturday. He had one cleared off the line. He had a shot that went just wide. It, he vindicated his selection. Pogba had to be dropped. I don't think many would have expected Van der Beek not to be in the lineup. Uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable that all six midfielders, out of the six specialist midfielders United have, five of them have started a league game, and the only one who hasn't is, is Van der Beek, who... It's probably been the best of them in that he's he got a goal against Palace. He had a huge contribution for the winning goal at Brighton by winning the corner. Um, and on Saturday, he's again the part he plays in the winning goal is so so pivotal. I think it's, it's difficult to pick it up at the time, but looking at the replay, he actually makes John Joe Shelby look shy because he's the one who goes for it's not really a challenge because Shelby for some reason hesitates. But Van der Beek is fully committed to it, gets the ball, and then the way he uses it would be interplay with Fernandez and finding matter. is so, so crucial to the movement because it frees up Fernandez to go off and make his run um, and get played in by Rashford. But of course, it was a surprise that he didn't start. And when I asked Oscar about not starting Van der Beek after the game, he kind of bristled at it, saying, you know, you're asking me about a player who's not started after with one four one, but it's a question that many Manchester United supporters wanted an answer for, and it was even more relevant because Van der Beek came on and had such had such a big impact. I don't think many would have disagreed with the decision to drop Pogba. I think that was that was overdue. I think he should have come out of the team. 
well, probably against Brighton because he wasn't fully fit and, and was very poor against Palace. Daniel James, I suspect, only played because Mason Greenwood had a problem and, and couldn't play. You know, Toskjaer was very vague about his injury. He didn't say what the issue was, but he wasn't he wasn't in Newcastle uh, on Saturday night. So I, I, I agreed with the amount of changes he made. I didn't necessarily agree with with all of them. Um, I don't think anybody could have. I don't think anybody could have predicted that side either. Um, and and the problem persists in, in central defence with Lindelof, who was obviously recalled and just got turned so, so easily for, for the first goal. And OK, maybe I was a bit harsh for my rating because in the end United won 4-1, but he's not a first teamer at United. Um, it, I mean, it does amuse me in a way because I, of all the correspondence that I get for player ratings, most of them seem to be from Scandinavian people. Um, and I think I had about four emails within half an hour of the final whistle on Saturday mm-hmm. hammering me for the rating I'd given Lindelof. And, it's, and they're talking about, oh, because Maguire is English and he's the, he's the king mm-hmm. and all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most warped aspects of a lot of fan bases, not just United. This, this it, frankly, xenophobic outlook from overseas fans uh, looking at the English or the British players and they're completely oblivious to what you've actually said about those players that I thought that certainly my team that I put out, we have to put our personal team out on the morning of games. And I didn't have Maguire in mind. I didn't have Luke Shaw in mind. And as far as I'm aware, those two are English. So you can't win with those things. I know player ratings are polarising, but it does amuse me that most of my correspondence seems to be um, regarding those from Swedish or Scandinavian fans because I, I I would have just suspected it would have been Pogbaholics who um, would have been going at me and maybe they do on Twitter but I, I never see it but at least the Swedes and the Scandinavians have the courtesy to um, send an email. Yeah, no way to send you can like to now if you're not happy with the player ratings yes. like this week but Agreed. you know how to get you know how to get your popularity back Sam let's give Lindelof a 10 and we can brush it all under the carpet but speaking about the uh the selection there you you, you mentioned you know maybe particularly with Van der Beek I mean it was interesting when the selection dropped that you know Solskjaer I know there's circumstances more, but when well, you have time five players in a small window another room is starting against Newcastle yeah. it does beg the question of, of why you maybe recruited them. Uh, of course, uh, Under Baker, social side will get time. So patience probably the key with him. And you have two games a week, he, he will get that start eventually. But in terms of the actual midfield selection going forward now, I mean, the, the, particularly with the rejuvenated form of Matt, obviously you've got to pick and choose when to use him. And just starting him every week now would, would probably be quite detrimental because he would get found out, particularly maybe in the PSG game where the pace might be a bit higher and United won't have as much possession. But in terms of going forward, what do you think is United's best midfield free at the moment this early on into the season? It's a very good question. That uh, Fernandez. No, I don't is, think Solskjaer knows, does he? I guess that's the no, point, no, it? no. It, it it is one that is very much up for debate. Uh, you would get. I mean, if you were to do a poll on it, which would be very difficult because there are so many different uh, combinations of of a midfield trio for United to to pick. Uh, I've, I've absolutely no idea what what would come out top on that um, because I think to obviously he had that first 11 at the end of last season and he tried to go back to that Brighton and, and Tottenham and it's not worked uh, for whatever reason. I think ring rust has to be taken into account in that Matic came back late to training because he'd been in quarantine and Pogba came back late because he tested positive for COVID as well and Pogba clearly in those first few games in the league was not was not right. He, he just wasn't fully fit, um, and he hadn't fully recovered from 
from from having COVID. So, but but that said, um, you, you've got to judge a player on what they're doing rather than what they've done. And against Tottenham, I think a lot of people, just, so, certainly a lot of United fans, would have hoped that after his cameo at Brighton, he'd have been back to his best. But he got the, an absolute chasing by Ndombele and considering what Mourinho's opinion of Ndombele was not even two months ago, it just that, that just tells you how bad Pogba was that day. I'd, I'd have Van der Beek in there. Um, it's it's difficult because he, you're probably looking at a deeper role for him, but he's so, he's so good in the final third and he's so creative that you don't want him too deep. So in that case, you have to you have to look at someone who's going to be anchoring that midfield. And at the moment, Matic, looking at the way he's been playing, again, he's someone who's probably going to need a little bit more time, Not hopefully not as much as he had last season, where the first half of the season was just pretty much write-off for him. Um, he's, he's probably going to need a bit of time to, to get back to the level he was playing at in the second half of last season. I thought McTominay got better as the game went on against Newcastle, but Newcastle's a different, it's a completely different level from someone like PSG. And, I mean, you raise the irrelevant point with Matter in that nobody would begrudge Solskjaer if he did start against PSG. But whether it's the best thing to do, I do have my doubts because you're coming up against a team who one of the best in Europe, Champions League uh, runners-up. They've got Mbappe and Neymar who are going to occupy your mind. Of course, you've got to master that balance of having a team that are going to threaten PSG, but also one that are going to you know, keep the keep the forwards in check and look after them. So it's a really tough balance for Solskjaer at the moment. I mean, I think it it changes game by game. I'd, I'd probably pick a different midfield against PSG and a different midfield against Chelsea at the weekend. But Fernandes has to be in it. Van der Beek has to be in it. And probably at the moment, McTominay, I would say. But that, if you ask me that question on Friday, or this time next week, I'll probably give you a different answer. Yeah, I guess that's the, the point. I, I guess that's also helped United in a way as well because they were too predictable towards last season when they had that best 11, which was starting every game. And you could predict the lineup. I mean, you could have leaked it two days beforehand because you knew what it was going to be. Uh, in terms of centre-back partnership now, because this might be a chance for you to win the Lindelof lovers back. Uh, obviously, we'll go into our PSG preview a bit later in the podcast. But what do you think United need to do in terms of centre-back? Because obviously, Maguire and Lindelof just isn't working as a partnership. Maguire at least did show some sort of resilience and he answered his critics reasonably well against Newcastle but his partner is still up in the air you know Bailly had a horror show as well against Tottenham Twanzebe is coming back just about but it'd still be a big ask for him to go straight mm-hmm. into the first team Marcus Rojo is still there can't play in the Champions League but you know until he's sold he's always an option uh, yeah. what would you do in terms of the uh, the defensive sort of unit going forward God. That, that that's a really difficult one um i mean Maguire's not going to get dropped uh unless he has another horror show like he did against tottenham and and i can understand that because he's the captain because he's solskjaer's he's solskjaer's signing as well but lindelof isn't the solution by isn't i remember us i think we we had the exchange when we said when are we banking on by his first cock up of the season we both thought yeah he'll come back in against tottenham and It'll be that game. And, and lo and behold, we were spectacularly right. Uh, I, I would like to see Tunzi be given uh, be given a run. Uh, he's got to stay fit, of course. Uh, he is back training now, which which is good for him. Uh, he's He's got the attributes to be a very good 
such compliment for Maguire. I think you, know, you go back to last season before the, uh, the the game against Liverpool um, in October, and Two and Zebi was going to play in that one in a back three with Maguire and Lindelof, but then got injured in the warm up, and that pretty much did it for him last season. Uh, unfortunately, he was pretty much on the cusp of of a breakthrough at United. That I suspect there'll come a point where Solskjaer does try and be quite innovative with his defence in that he maybe looks at a back three, but not with three centre-halves. He looks at maybe putting McTominay or Matic back there. I know that sounds bonkers because we have seen those players playing in those positions back there um, before and it, it went very, very badly for McTominay at West Ham. A couple of years ago, I think it was now. Uh, under yeah. Rudy, they lost three one. At, at least he did play there for Scotland, though, didn't he? I mean, he's, he's yeah, shown but... some sort of progress to to that, but it's still. I mean, it's an absolute disastrous uh, sort of message to send. You spent so much on your defence, and you're relying relying on a former academy striker to come in at centre back. I know, and um, well, when the Scotland team was announced last week, McTominay was trending, and it was just all these very Scottish jokes at the expense of of him being played in in defence. I don't think that's as much a dig at McTominay, but Scotland fans are having a dig at Steve Clark for using a Man United midfielder. When was the last time Scotland had a Man United midfielder playing regularly who wasn't Darren Fletcher? You're probably going back to, goodness me, I mean, probably going back to the 70s and the days of Tommy Doherty and when mm. you know teams in England were full of British and Irish players. Um, so... It's it's a real diff it's a real difficult one. I I think you're probably banking on two and Zeb coming good, and and looking settled there. With with Bai, he's in a position now where he's really fighting for his future at United because they have triggered that extension, which was I don't know why it was why it was different for him, but he had a two year extension rather than a one year. So he's into the last two years of his contract. If he does not have if he has a season this season like he's had in previous seasons then they've really just got to sell him in the summer um they can't they can't countenance that kind of mediocrity again and that that brittleness uh and also it would actually free up funds and free up room for centre-back signing next year which given that Rojo is probably going to be released at the end of the season unless they sell him before then that's getting two players out for a position that they want to strengthen which it's, it's good for them, but that's a long way off. And the Solskjaer, you know, he, he might not be the manager at that point as well. So he is probably going to have to be innovative with how he goes about it. But I wouldn't dare dream of thinking what panacea is for him there. I think I suggested it on the eve of the Liverpool away game in January that Wan-Bissaka plays a centre-back. And I was half right in that there was a full-back playing in a back three, but it was Luke Shaw. And Luke Shaw has done well there. And I think he he still has to be considered um, as a centre-back in a back three. But you wonder whether that was, was it just a purple patch earlier in the year? But I certainly think that he, he, I mean, he played very well there and he has to be considered. But it, it was so long ago. So would he would he reach that level again? It, you don't know. It's, it's up to Solskjaer to make that call. Yeah, I thought I was quite impressed with Luke because considering he scored his own goal the weekend, I thought he's quite uh, quite dynamic going forward as well. I thought he responded well to it. Do you think there's ever an opportunity now with Tellers there that Luke Shaw could just be a, a left centre back partner for Maguire, or do you think that is just too big a risk to take? I mean, uh, maybe not against a, a big team necessarily, but if you're playing a, a team in which you expect to dominate, I, I don't see why there shouldn't be at least maybe just a little experiment to put Luke Shaw as a, as a centre back and alongside Maguire because at least he's left footed, he's a bit more mobile. Maybe, maybe that is the answer. 
I, th I think it's it, there might come a time where it's it's worth experimenting with. I suppose Solskjaer is also conscious of not wanting to leave certain players disenchanted, and that if he turned to Shaw ahead of Tunzibi or even Ted and Mengi, that that could be very demoralising for them. But there'll there'll probably be an occasion, maybe during a game where you have to switch him back there, that it's it's worth trialling. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson once played Dimitar Berbatov in a back three. Um, at Leeds United, which he was he was quite amused that I, I remembered when I spoke to him recently and I said, well, you actually kept a clean sheet as well. Um, it, it was it was pretty much the only time he ever played there. But was that the League Cup? Yeah, yeah, the, 2011? The last time, yeah, the last time United actually played Leeds, I think, was um, in, in, a, in a competitive game, obviously. Was that so, a very good goal? Gig scored and Michael, I think Michael Owen scored twice and all these media chums came out saying, why isn't he in the England squad, blah, 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 as if it made a difference that he scored against a championship team in, in the League Cup, but uh, it wasn't to be for him. So, uh, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Shaw doesn't, if Shaw goes into um, into a back three at some point. I, I think it'd be a stretch to see him partnering Maguire at some stage. I've always got to play devil's advocate and until, yeah. until, he's, been, yeah. until he's had a... Stink of it. I'll write it as a piece as well. So don't worry. It's, about a, that. it's, a, legit, it's a legitimate debate. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, Rich. Yeah. Uh, in terms of maybe another debate, I mean, there's no uh, surprise really to see United trigger Paul Pogba's uh, contract extension. Samuel, you uh, broke the news uh, last Friday. Pogba's extension was always going to happen. You know, why yeah. why wouldn't you do that, especially with him technically out of contract? Uh, but uh, what do you think the uh, next step is with Paul Pogba? Because it's come at a time where he's flirted with Real Madrid. He had to be dropped from the United team based on form, regardless of the comments he's made. But I know we talk about him every single week. I don't want us to turn to a Paul Pogba podcast. I know that you know we spoke about him on the last podcast as well. So maybe if you want a, a deeper look at Pogba, you go back and listen to that one. But Pogba's contract extension, newsworthy. It has happened. What's the uh, maybe the next steps for United and Paul Pogba, in your opinion? Well, either he... Either he signs a new contract or he leaves next summer. I don't think there's any in between. And he it's in his interest to play well between now and the end of the season for a number of reasons, whether he wants to get a move to Real Madrid, the fact that there's a Euros next summer to, to prepare for as well and ensure that he's starting. I know he didn't start against Croatia in the Nations League game, but I don't really, I don't know if Deschamps commented on it, but I wouldn't have really seen that. I didn't really see that as him being dropped. There were three internationals over the last two weeks and there was always going to be an element of rotation because there was there was one too many games and um, normally it's two games, this time it's three. And I mean, there's, there's, it's pretty nonsensical given the, the amount of games that clubs um, are having to play. So adding another game to the internationals doesn't really help the players in that sense. But United have... I just think they've got to take the principled stance of of selling him. Um, they've they've heard this spiel from him about looking to sign for Real Madrid before. Um, they've they've pretty much offset him leaving already as well by signing Fernandez and Van der Beek. I don't think I, I wonder with Van der Beek whether Solskjaer and maybe he's guilty of looking too far ahead, but he's looking at Van der Beek and thinking he's going to be my Pogba style player next year because I'm not going to have Pogba. So at the moment, he has to play the politics of keeping Pogba sweet, um, easing Van der Beek in. And he can do that at the moment because yeah. Van der Beek has just joined the club and he's having to adapt and blah, blah, blah. And 
Solskjaer was talking about finding a balance. But they've effectively replaced Pogba already with Fernandes and, and Van der Beek. And kudos to United for doing that because it's it's better to do it that way rather than sell the player and then scramble around looking for someone to, to offset their departure. So I, I suspect deep down they that that was part of the plan in bringing Van der Beek in and, and Fernandes in as well. I've no doubt that Pogba probably would have left this year uh, if there wasn't a pandemic. When it comes to next year, if United back in the Europa League, uh, if they fail to qualify for the Champions League this season, the, the game is up there. There's no way Pogba is sticking around for a sixth season and the third third of six being spent playing Europa League football. Um, it just that's that's just unforeseeable. I think. And in terms of what he said about Real Madrid, it would look very hollow of him to sign a new contract for United to actually offer him a new contract. They can't offer him a new contract at the moment just because of the way he's playing. Uh, I know it makes sense to do so. And certainly after Solskjaer told us whenever it was in June or July that we were that United were looking to get him on a new contract as well. Uh, obviously, the British media does that and then some guy in Italy does a story saying, oh, they're already in talks. And I think since then, Raiola and Pogba have both said that they're not in talks about a new contract. So that that gives another indication as to where things are going. And it's always the case with these extensions. And it was quite original of Ed Woodward to introduce the option of an additional year um, in 2013 in that it does safeguard your investment in the player, does retain a little bit more power with the club rather than the player. But ultimately, Pogba is now into the last two years of his deal. And whenever a player does that, the, the power is mainly with the player. And at the moment, United would struggle to recoup the 89 million they spent on Pogba in 2016. But there's an awful long way to go until next summer. And he could have a barnstorming run of form. Um, he's, he's capable of doing it. And then obviously his his price goes up and up and up. And yeah, the Real Madrid have saved money from not, I don't think they've spent a single penny during the summer and next year they're in the position where Pogba's got a year left in his contract and Mbappe's got a year left in his contract and they've probably got they've probably saved enough to maybe go out there and sign those two players and they are two players that their coach wants at Real Madrid exactly I guess the other debate maybe we're not even a debate at the moment is that United are still probably playing their best football when Pogba's not on the pitch so you know it's hard to justify yeah. the contract when that's the case and you know two well last year Paul Pogba wasn't on the pitch when United went to PSG and they pulled off the uh, the unthinkable. It's PSG again on Tuesday night. Uh, we're recording this before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's press conference on Monday uh, afternoon. But uh, we could probably expect some nostalgia from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this afternoon when he does speak about going to PSG, going to Paris. A very different game. I've got the quarterfinal up for grabs this time. Opening game of... Group H in the Champions League for United. So it's going to be a very different match and it should be taken in isolation away from what happened last year. But Samuel PSG away is the type of game that United wanted when they qualified for the Champions League. It's the toughest start possibly other than Bayern Munich that they could have had. I mean, at least last year's competition suggests that. What do you expect from United against PSG this week? Uh, United, you know, we've got to take it in isolation. Whatever happens isn't really going to be a benchmark of where United are at at the moment. But if United were to lose and to lose quite badly, it could really uh, bring the Oli out brigade back in full force after what was a positive weekend. Yeah, they'd have to, as you say, they'd have to suffer a right tonking for um, the Solskjaer detractors to come out and you know, call for call for his head or anything like that. 
everybody accepts that PSG are a, a better side than United and, and have been for, for quite some time now. The the win 18 months ago, however long it was, was, was a remarkable night for a number of reasons. It was the first time in European Cup history that a team that had won their first leg 2-0 away from home uh, went out and United had 10 players missing, whatever it was, and Mason Greenwood came on for his debut and you had the drama at the end. Uh, I just suspect that PSG, uh, that will be in the back of their minds and there's no way, it can't be as dramatic as that game, for one, but there's no way they're going to let that happen again. Uh, They've got Neymar uh, on this occasion. Back then he was getting... um, he was getting embroiled in a in a row with Eric Cantona, I think, in the director's box at Depart de France. So I think most people would expect United to lose this game, even though they have got uh, Marshall back, which is a boost, although Marshall has had a very tepid start to the season. But it's possibly the kind of game that he would come alive in. I mean, Solskjaer is, is free to play his, his strongest side, whatever that may be. And I think a lot of people would disagree on what his strongest 11 is and I'm not sure he knows what his best team is at the moment either uh, so I think if United perform creditably then people aren't going to be too distraught by losing against Paris Saint-Germain it helps that it's the first game as well mm-hmm. the, the big game in this group I suspect and I think a lot of people suspect will be uh, Leipzig in the final on, on the final um, in the final one because I would be amazed if United would go into Leipzig having already qualified for the knockout stage of the Champions League. I think that game is set up to be a decider for United as to whether they play the second half of the season in the Champions League or the Europa League. Uh, so it could be Wolfsburg style from 2015. Um, you know, This is a really testing period, as, as you said, PSG, uh, Chelsea, Leipzig, Arsenal, Basak uh, here, and then Everton away just before the November internationals. But they perform well at the weekend, so... their confidence is back up again which was was absolutely essential and I don't think it would be dented too much uh, against PSG unless as you said they lost really really badly and PSG have got it in them to do that they did it to Barcelona a few years ago when they thumped them 4-0 but then they got thumped 6-1 in the return leg and I think did they beat Real Madrid 3-0 last season in the group stage I think it was a scoreline they beat Madrid very well anyway I seem to remember so they yeah. are a different team from they are a different beast from the one that collapsed against United uh, eighteen months ago or, or whenever it was. They do have a lot more metal about them, um, although they got to the the final without two legged ties. But, but you know, I, I think PSG are a much more formidable side now than than they were back then. They do seem to have well, they clearly have lifted that hex of going out early in the Champions League as well. Yeah, and I think that uh, quarter-final win there at Atlanta really helped. They really scored twice in the last five yes. minutes, whatever, uh, yeah. back, in, back in the summer. But in terms of maybe team selection, Sammy, you've already sort of hinted it there, that you know the Chelsea game this weekend is a bigger one. It's one that's going to have more, more pressing issues because United are directly compared with Chelsea at the moment. They're not directly compared with PSG. So do you think there is argument that even though United could have a fully fit side to choose from against PSG, that maybe it's better to... To maybe take the risk and rest a few players against PSG than it is to, to go against Chelsea? I think Solskjaer will do that. I don't think he'll give too much away in terms of what, when it comes to those players who are rested as to whether... I don't think it'll be obvious that those players who may be on the bench in PSG will be definitely coming back 
into the team against Chelsea on Saturday. Uh, it does help them that there's a, a fair gap between the games. I think it's, it's what, a five-day gap. So that's better than a Wednesday-Saturday scenario. Um, or, I mean, at least they're not in the Europa League and you've not got the, the Thursday-Sunday malarkey that obviously I, th- I think mentally more than physically is, is something that managers, players just just don't like. Um, that They can't ever really seem to get into the rhythm of that. But the, the advantage he had with the Europa League was that, and Solskjaer said it, he could rotate heavily. Um, he's already warned that he can't rotate as much in the Champions League because you're back in the Champions League. And he said this before the draw was made, uh, that United have been drawn a very, very tough group coming up against semi-finalists and, and finalists before before Christmas. Um, it's, I think it's good for us, journalistically, because you want more riding on these games rather than Baal and Benfica and uh, Otto Galate, which you know, ironically was a group that United failed to get out of in 2011. But you want big games in the Champions League group stage. Um, you want them as early as possible. So I don't think there are any complaints from us. But it it is difficult to identify who who he's thinking of. I'll play them against PSG and they can do a job against Neymar and Mbappe and, and Verratti and those guys but they won't be playing against Chelsea at the weekend. And Chelsea are a weaker side than PSG. So it's a strange dynamic. It's a, it's a really, really difficult balance to master. But in fairness to Solskjaer, he has been in this position before. Um, last season, Tottenham was the midweek game. City was the, dar- was the derby game on, on the Saturday. And United won both of those games. I don't think he... I don't think he probably made even a change. I think he probably played the same team in both. So the performance will obviously dictate what changes he makes against Chelsea at the weekend. Uh, as I said, I think there's not too much pressure on United going into this game. I think the pressure may, is mainly on them in the league games coming up rather than the Champions League games, although if they were to lose tonight and then they lose at home to Leipzig next week, that would put him really under the cosh. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's worth saying they've got to be positive. United do tend to, to do better in these big games, particularly when the yeah. pressure's off and the expectations are against them. But like you said, Samuel, the big one to go at. But Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester Israel thank podcast. You. And thank you very much again for listening. Uh, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll be back again next time.